Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids. We're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty dollars or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or $300,000 in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. Now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook Podcast. Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla coming to you what could be and probably is the, the last time here of, of 2023, Scott, with the holidays closing in upon us. That's true. And also, you know, some, you know, things going on behind the scenes. It might be the last time that it is called Snap Hook. Uh, we've been, you know, talking about some rebranding, you know, in the new year. So uh, some exciting times for the show. I'm sure moving forward. Yeah. And and I thought maybe we were going to tease it and get to it a little later, but now you're jumping right in. Um, yeah, we, you know, I was approached with an opportunity. Uh, Scott and I were approached with an opportunity on bringing our uh, podcast to a bigger network that will have a wider audience. Um, and, and I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to maybe hone in and, and do what we do best, which is talk, you know, the four sports that we enjoy and, and mostly Houston sports. And it'd be a great time to rename the show and rebrand the show for a wider audience. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be keeping people posted on, on our, our plans for the future through our social medias and through, um, the show's social media page, but you should see a lot more content coming out. And, and that's what I'm really excited about is, is an opportunity for someone to help us um, take this podcast to the next level. You know, Scott and I talked and, um, you know, you look at the shows that are really growing and the ones that are, you know, you know, getting a following, you've got to do more than, than just record once a week. And, you know, with Scott and I both have a day jobs, uh, this is a great opportunity for us to have someone to come in and, and take what we do and, and get some great content out of it and help us share that content. Yeah, it was funny, you know, because uh, Tim sent the text and, you know, the text just basically said, we have, you know, maybe an exciting opportunity. So my mind danced a little bit. Yeah, hey, maybe one of the radio stations is is calling or asking us in to come in for an interview. But no, 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 it, this is a good, it's it's good thing. So, you know, you get to more eyeballs, you know, particularly eyeballs, because a lot of these new radio stations are going to Twitch, which is uh, through YouTube. So you get to see us in addition to hearing us. Um, but yeah, just 
the ability to reach more people, you know, and, and possibly monetize the thing is always a, a great possibility. And, you know, I, 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 growing up, and I know you probably did as well, like, I always wanted to be like one of the people peop, uh, fans turn to for my opinion on, on Astros or Rockets or Texans or, you know, most times, like anytime someone saw me, hey, what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on that? Um, and so, you know, if we ever want to get to that point, like you said, where radio stations calling us in for that interview, uh, you know, this is that step that Scott and I have to take. And so, um, you know, we, you might have to find the show a little bit differently going forward, but we will, uh, make sure that we, we let everybody know how, how to do that. Uh, and we'll be sure to get those live links out too. Um, so that way you can actually tune in and watch the show live if you want to. Uh, or watch the show on, on a, a rebroadcast or listen to the show as a podcast. So very exciting times coming up for the show and, and stay tuned uh, for the new name. I know Scott wanted to put it out to the to the fans to talk about, but I was afraid we're going to get like podcast McPotty face or something like that coming in as, as happens oftentimes when the internet has a chance to vote. Well, you know, a good story along those lines. Our school actually did not have a mascot until about two years ago. And so they had the students suggest names. My favorite, the one that didn't win, we are officially the Knights. But my favorite is the, the kid that suggested the lice. And his explanation was no other school in the world has lice as a mascot. And says, you know what? You're right. And you know what else we can say? That's a head scratcher. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty great, man. Like I'm, I'm all for trying to find a mascot as a high school that is, you know, the Eagles, the Falcons, you know, whatever it is that you're buying in bulk so you can get the the NFL team logo discount. I want something rare. You know, there's some real, there's some high schools that are out there willing to take risks, you know, and then there's some other ones like, you know, no, no need to throw shade, but our alma mater who literally just uses the NFL Falcons logo for their own logo. So it is what it is, Scott. It is. All right. So back to, uh, back to business as usual. I was going to say real quick, we did miss a great chance for me to slip a deuce versus turd. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Reference there for, you're going to be, you're going to be banished until you learn the importance of voting. Yeah. Hey, you Uh, have to, you have to vote. Even if the choice is a deuce versus a giant turd. Vote or die, motherfucker. Vote or die. <laughs> love, oh. it. love it. What but is yeah. that? Yeah, I love that. What, exa- what does that mean exactly? Exactly what you think it means, bitch. <laughs> yes, that was a good episode. It was. Oh, man. For those of you who don't know, that's a great South Park episode where the school's trying to decide on a new mascot. Uh, and I believe it's either a deuce or a giant crap sandwich, or it's a giant turd. And so, turd sandwich, turd, turd sandwich. sandwich. Yeah, it is a turd sandwich. And so he's like, he literally has to choose between a giant deuce or a giant turd, which is a great analogy for ninety nine percent of our presidential elections. Um, and it was just wonderful content. But Scott, it's been a it's been a fantastic year um, for really all all of our Houston sports teams, right? It's Everything's kind of flown in a wonderful way. We've had baseball season was a little bit disappointing, but a great year. The Rockets and Texans off to 
wonderful rebuild starts. You know, it's it's a pretty holly holidays, you know, I'd say right now for Astros and Rockets and Texans fans. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I, I think, you know, and I was thinking about this, the Rockets and Texans in particular are in almost the exact same place, uh, which is, is just bizarre. You know, they had about a two or three year period where yeah, things weren't looking good, you know, not only in terms of record, but in terms of, you know, what stories were coming out of, you know, of those particular places. But, you know, this year they've turned things around. The Astros, the Astros is probably an entire conversation that, you know, we probably need to have because, you know, obviously seven consecutive ALCSs, but where's this team going here in the future? That is a great question. It is. It's, it's, it's going to be, is it going to be a very pivotal year? We'll see. We'll really see if there's some bounce back opportunities for guys like Montero and Abreu that if 2023 was an aberration and they can bounce back and have good productive years, then, you know, it's a great season because you're relying on those guys to have good years, relying on someone like Jake Myers to come in and to be a productive player. You're, you're hoping that uh, uh, Brian Abreu takes the next step forward and, and turns into maybe your closer of the future because we saw some things in the playoffs that were certainly scary there. Um, you know, you're hoping Alex Bregman returns to MVP form and somehow refalls in love with the city and signs an extension. You know, you're hoping, you know, at some point for Christmas, I'd love, I'd love Jim Crane to deliver us the Jose Altuve extension we've been waiting for. There are some, but yeah, I don't know if you saw this story floating out there, Scott. You no, know, there's a rumor that Jim Crane's preparing to sell this team. So that that's concerning to me in terms of extensions because he's going to be able to get the most money he can for without a lot of long-term money tied up so somebody else can come in and make those decisions on how much they want to spend and who they want to spend on. I did see that. In fact, I was about to mention that. Um, And I think what happens here is that we're kind of in a holding pattern. And I think this is, and really effectively, it doesn't really change much because he has been unwilling to deal anybody really from the core. So, you know, you take guys like, you know, you mentioned last week's episode, you know, I, I re-listen, I listen to the show just about every week, just to, you know, to kind of hear what we sound like. And you were running through it. I mean, you were just running right through Springer, you know, to, to Cole, to Correa, to Verlander, to, you know, to Tucker. And they keep just kicking that can down the road and never really doing anything with those guys. So I don't know that this offseason changes anything. And the thing is, is that we keep saying this is the most important offseason, you know, for the Astros. And we just seems like we're kicking that thing down the road. Um, But I think he's in good position to sell. And I think somebody's in good position to spend because of this new network uh, that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks where, you know, they could be raking in as much as a billion dollars in revenue just from the cable network every year. And yet they're sitting here saying they're losing $93 million this year, right? There's $93 million of lost revenue. And maybe there is based on the way the cable network specifically got paid. But if they would just go to streaming, if they would say, screw the screw the blackout rules, screw, screw every app, screw whatever, 
It's 25 bucks a month. You get year-round coverage of Rockets, Astros, and all high school sports. It is Space City Sports. Here's the app. I'm in. I'm absolutely in. Because you know what? I can drop Fubo completely. Because that's the only reason I have Fubo is to get that channel. Well, I don't know if you've seen the Fubo bill. Uh, because I was taking a look at it because I will probably be getting back on Fubo uh, as things are now. Uh, who knows? Maybe Tim and I in the future could do like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 thing where we record live watching an Astros game together. I think that would be that's, a good That's of- something I'm actually hoping for right? to get maybe a, a, Rockets, a, a, Rocket, a Rockets watch party or something like that going together. Yeah, we could, we could pull that off, I think. But. Um, if you look at the bill, it is fair. what I like about Fubo is it's fairly, you know, it's it's transparent. It's right there. It's like sixty five dollars plus a fifteen dollar and change fee for just the regional sports networks. That tells you how much it's costing Fubo to to run that thing. So twenty five dollars, as you suggested, throws in ten more dollars into your pockets. And that's and that's me understanding that you're going to have to pay to have some infrastructure, right? Like, there's going to have to be a uh, you got to pay broadcasters because now they're all team employees, and you you know you got to pay to have the cameraman and all that other stuff, right? Like, I understand that, so I'm willing to pay twenty five. Well, person, there's right? there's no reason why you can't continue to offer it on say DirecTV, on Fubo, on Comcast, on I mean you can continue to offer it on all those things. But you can just offer also because I, I I've been looking for ways and I and you know we we cut Fubo um this last month and I've been looking for ways. I've been I've been you know doing research into all kinds of streaming services. Unfortunately right now there's only two ways to get Space City. It's Fubo or DirecTV. And I was on the phone with this direct TV person today. And it was just a maddening conversation. It's just, and I, she's asking me about, you know, my viewing habits. I'm like, I literally have everything I need except for space city. Like that is the only reason I'd be adding you. Well, we'll give you all these movie channels for free for three months. We'll give you all these other regional sports networks for free for three months. And we'll give it to you for the bargain basement price of $115 a month. And we'll lock it in for two years. It's like, that's nice, but I'm paying $115 a month for one channel. It's just insane. It is. And it's, and that's why we haven't been able to get this streaming network. I truly feel if you go out and you offer it on its own, cable networks are going to be pissed and they're not going to want to do business anymore. And that's that. I, I That's my belief. And that's why it hasn't happened yet. Um, but the first person that does it, I think they're going to make a killing. You can still sell all the advertising that you're selling. You can probably ask a little bit more knowing that it's supporting the local network and it's not going to, you know, all these other conglomerates. Right. So, I don't know. I feel like it's a win. I feel like it, it makes sense, but I also, you know, I'm not in that MLB room. But I don't know why with what's what happened with Bally, what's happening all this. Why don't like why are you and I and all these fans, other people saying this, and and the owners aren't at the 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 meetings that were just held, saying, "Hey guys, I think it's time." I mean, are they just so old and fucking dumb that they don't understand? that 
people would love this or or just look, why is Rob Manfred not going you know what it's time to to let MLB app not have blackout restrictions if you want to sign up for the MLB app regardless of where you live you can stream your team cuz you know what you can't in Arlington if the Bally network's gone starting January 1st yeah it, it, like what what the hell yeah i mean i think what it is is i think it's 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 fear because right now, as you know, baseball revenue-wise, just like the other sports, is going up and up and up and up. I mean, I, I can't. I I want to say it's probably like a ten to fifteen billion dollar business. You know, overall thirty teams. I mean, effectively, you're starting off at zero, and hoping you can make up that much, which you and I both believe you can and more. But, you know, then the question starts coming, okay, what happens to your national TV contract? You know, what happens? It's still there. Right? All the national TV shows there. And tell me, in what reason, if, if, if you own uh, Chevy, you know, Scott, Scott uh, Barzilla Chevy, right? Let's say yeah. that's your business. And you've, and you've advertised with uh, AT&T Sports uh, during Astros games for five years, right? You've, you've said you've paid AT&T Sportsnet for years to say, I'd like my ad to run during Astros and Rockets games. I want it to run during these primetime slots during Rockets and Astros games because that's how you that's how you buy your ad time, right? You can choose to have it play during that time. Why would you not come to the app? Like why, If you have been adamant about having your stuff played during the Astros and Rockets and you're the official Chevy partner of the Astros and Rockets, why wouldn't you move? Why can't you just say all this advertising money, we're going to keep 90% of it and we're going to gain from outside. Let's go. I I think it's a fear thing. I think it's a fear all the way around because as an advertiser, I'm going where the eyeballs are. And so the eyeballs are where the game is. Well, that's yes. You and I both know that, but as an advertiser, there's that, there's that uncertainty of, you know, are we going to get as many eyeballs? I don't think they realize, I don't think that, that the owners, because I think they they tend to be older. I don't think they realize how many people stream. I think even people that subscribe to cable stream, you know, for the most part. I, I don't think they realize that. And I think that people who are older than, than me, I'm 50, People who are older than me, like my parents, are afraid to get rid of satellite. And you're like, why? You're paying. I mean, my in-laws were paying like $300 a month for their version of Comcast. I think they were Cox in Louisiana. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. But you just got people who are scared, you know, to move on. And I think that's where the, the that's the age demographic where these owners are. Is they're just, <coughs> they're afraid. Of the uncertainty. Yeah, and yet here at the same time, you've got a game that has a fan base that's getting older. You're out of touch. And as you continue to hold off the streaming options, you will lose touch with your fan base even more because you and I don't subscribe to cable. You know, you, as you have said, it's it's a lot of money for you to have Fubo to watch, you know, one thing per season i'm lucky enough to where i'm in a bit of a price share situation but you know either way it's still you know either i'm still i'm paying effectively 25 dollars every month to watch my team 
You know, I'm not cheaping out. It's 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 the way it is. But we as fans are willing to do that. But what we're not willing to do is pay $150 to DirecTV to watch the Astros and then not have fucking CBS because you guys are fighting over here about this. And then when that gets resolved, now the Astros channel's fighting and all. You know, these cable conglomerates are ridiculous. And I don't want that. I just want to pay my money to watch what I want to watch. You know, the NFL, they do a lot of things wrong. But what they have right is their app. I paid a one-time fee for Red Zone for this year. And it works on every TV in my house. It all my devices. It doesn't matter as long as like it knows I'm me. There's no limit to that bullshit. If I'm on the Wi-Fi, I'm on the Wi-Fi, and I have Red Zone. And you know what? When the game's not on here, I have Red Zone. When Haley's team's not on, we have Red Zone. And between that, primetime games and whatever, I watch almost all the football I can imagine. Well, and I think to bring this back to the Astros, I think where the next step is going to be is that you need the 2020s version of a Mark Cuban, you know, because Mark Cuban really, when he was in the nineties and the aughts was right there on the cutting edge. Do you know how he made his billions? To an I know it, was a, it was a website and I mean, I, I know it was he, a tech guy. I can't remember what it did. So he owned something called broadcast.com. That's it was radio. It was, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, online so, radio. Yeah. So he broadcast all the games before the, the major sports figured out, Oh shit, <laughs> we got to get a handle on this internet thing. And so he sold it out right before the leagues figured out, okay, no, we got to put the clamps down on this thing. So he sold it. I want to say for something like 2.6 billion back then, which, you know, in today's dollars is like 10 billion, you know, or, or 15 billion. You need somebody like that that's a little bit younger that would be, might be one of these tech billionaires that sees the future. Because I think with the with the Astros, I think you can you own this town. Right now, they already do. But can you imagine how much of a, str- a stranglehold they had on this town if they extend this window, let's say, five years? You could do it. If you're willing to spend up to like say 300 million a year, you can do it. If you're willing to go out, you know, have the stones to sit there and extend Tucker and have the stones to go out and st- extend Bregman and and you know, do what you need to do with Framber Valdez. I mean, right now uh, MLB trade rumors is all over the fact that like five or six teams have been all over them this winter, and the Astros so far rebuffed them, but. If you were to make, if you were to go to Dana Brown right now and say like, okay, money's no object with our guys, you decide which one of these guys you think you want to bring back long term and which ones you don't, and then we'll let you run this team how you want to. Because right now, what he's being told is basically you've got maybe five or ten million dollars left to spend. Which what's that going to buy? Not a whole heck of a lot. I'm with you because I think, I think if you can could if you convince, you tell me you can extend Tucker, Bregman, and Octuve. This team with already, um, Jordan's extended. You've got you know theoretically a pretty good catcher there in in, in Yiner. You've got um, Javier's extended. Hopefully, he can get things figured out. 
you got this year of Verlander, one more year of Verlander. You've got Hunter Brown, JP France, Aaron Geddick in the wings. You know, theoretically, we've got some some young you got, pitching ready to go. You got it, Chaz it, and Pena too. You got I mean, Chaz and Pena are cheap. Um, I don't know, man. If if you could just spend on those three guys, like Fromber can walk. Like I get it, or trade Fromber and get some and get some um, maybe some some prospects for him to, to kind of replenish that farm system. Maybe a a back end of the rotation innings eater starter, someone who's going to pitch to a three nine five ERA but throw one hundred and eighty innings. Those guys are valuable, you know. You and I know that. Not everybody else. Not not everybody's going to have a 2019 Astros rotation, right? Like you're not going to always roll that out there. Sometimes you need a guy, like we mentioned before, which was um, uh, the he Odorizzi. Yeah, sometimes you need an Odorizzi. Sometimes you need a um, uh, Wade Wade Miley. That's exactly what I was going for. Those guys are valuable, man. Those guys. Those guys keep your bullpen fresh, and every five days you can get six or seven innings out of them. And if you can, if you can score six to seven runs as an offense, they give you a chance to win. And, and with the Astros' offensive pieces, they've got easily games where they can score six or seven runs in, in an instant. So you need to find options like that. But if you could tell me you could extend those three guys, I know it's going to be probably. Um, close to a billion dollars between those three. I don't know, three hundred for Breggs, three hundred for Tucker. And I don't think probably maybe two hundred for Altuve. Probably maybe one hundred fifty. I think one fifty, but I mean that's seven. Yeah, that's three quarters of a billion dollars right there. But see, and here's here's the thing, and here's the question you got to ask yourself: Out of those three guys, who do you see going to the Hall of Fame? Altuve, obviously. Yeah, that's one. I don't know if I could see either one of the other one going to the Hall of Fame. I like Alex Bregman a lot. I think he's a big part of what we do, but I think he is is not on the path to be a Hall of Famer. No, he's just short. And 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 so the question with Tucker is way too early. Uh, it's way too early to know. What I like about Tucker that's different than the other ones so far knocking on wood, he's been healthy. Um, and so, you know, he's producing five wins, you know, solid a year. But if you look at a Bregman, and this is where you have to have the stones, you have to have, you have to allow your, your general manager to look at it and say like, okay, I don't want to resign this guy long-term. I don't think he's going to hold value. You got to give him, you got to give them the freedom to sit there and say, let me see what deal I can get. Because, you know, I, I, on our message board, somebody you know came up with the idea of, hey, you flip, let's say, Fromber to the Reds. They have a young prospect at third base, uh, Marte, I think is his last name. So Marte becomes your third baseman. Now you can flip Bregman. And then, you know, what do you get for Bregman? You know, maybe you trade them to, like, say, the Blue Jays or something like that. I mean, there there are deals that can be made that will free up some of that money that if you wanted to sit there and say, we are going to prioritize Altuve and Tucker. If you want to sit there and say, let's get two of those guys. I think you can afford two. And then give Brown the freedom to sit there and say, okay, let me search and see you know, I've got five teams on the trail for Fromber. Who's going to give me the best package? 
Brown is a guy that you brought in because he's a player development guy. Let him go out there and look at those farm systems and sit there and decide who do I like on these five teams? Who do I think is going to give me the best package of prospects that's going to keep this thing going for the next five or six years? I agree with you. And I, I, you know, I think you and I are both the lock and step in, in the direction that they would, that we would take on this. I, if I'm only keeping two, I'm keeping those two. Um, I, I do agree that with Bregman's injury history and, and, and the type of swing that he has, if his timing's off, everything's just a little slicey fly ball to right field, right? He has to be on and he has to have the wrist strength to get through the zone the way that he slashes at the baseball, right? And so I don't know how that swing ages over time. There's, I don't think there's a lot of guys who attack the ball like, like Bregman does. If you look at the mechanics of his baseball swing, they're definitely a little bit different. Um, and I don't know how that ages with, with some of the wrist injuries that he's had, Scott. Yeah. And so I think, you know, and, and I think with Fromber, I, I think it's kind of a similar deal. I don't know how well he ages. Um, cause you know, and, and I, I don't know. I, I would love to know, have, you know, I'd love him to come back and shove this year and just be fantastic. I'd, I would love somebody to come in who knows a little bit about biomechanics that could explain why guys in the past were able to throw like 250 innings a year, year in and year out. They weren't and, throwing as hard. They weren't, they weren't maxing out with velocity yeah. as hard. And I, and I think, you know, somebody who, and, and, it, and you know, what's funny is, is that a few years ago, because Janet applied, they were trying to bring in a bioengineer. The Astros were. Um, that would have been so cool as shit, man. She applied for the job, and we were. We, uh, and I was rooting for that to happen. But you know, because the thing Could is, you imagine is that, the tickets you would have got if your wife was like the bioengineer for the Astros. No kidding, no kidding, man. I mean, I'll get me myself my own box. Nah, I, uh, I don't know about that far. But. Yeah, that's true. But you know, here's the deal, though. If you could explain why that happens, could you bring in somebody who's an expert to sit there and say, hey? Throw ninety percent of what you're capable of. No, because I think you get locate, lit up and locate it. Get lit up, and well, but if you can locate, I think you can. I think you can live. I don't I mean, know. Maddox, Maddox did that. Maddox, when he came up, he was throwing ninety five, and then when he when he was pitching, he was living. But not high everybody 80s. has movement. Not everybody has movement. Like I, I think there are certain guys, yes, who could do that. But I think a majority of major league hitters nowadays, they have so much more on their side for technology as far as training. I mean, you can throw that damn Oculus thing on, Scott, and you can you can take virtual at-bats off pitchers. And you can get ready to face a certain starter and basically have faced them five times already the night before, and you're ready to go. So if, if these guys aren't – if they come at 90, they're going to get lit up. And it's just, it is what it is. Like guys just are better nowadays than they've ever been. I think, I think the, the hall of fame guys have always been hall of fame guys, but I think the standard of play nowadays is, is higher than it was in the fifties. I, I think the guy who's on the bench nowadays, a Marwin Gonzalez would have been one of the best players in the league. Like he would have I, think, I think that's partially true. I think also it's, it's also true though, is that uh, we know for a fact that certain secondary offerings are harder on the arm than others. True. And so uh, like the split finger, apparently like, 
It's like it, it's just murder. And I guarantee you um, that new sweeper pitch is not going to be good on arms. Yeah. So the whole thing is, is that when, when you're developing players, you know, sliders stereotypically have been tough on arms. Um, my dad showed me for years, like he could not straighten his arms because when he was a kid, he threw so many, you know, curveballs. Yeah. They wouldn't so, let us throw curveballs in our little league. I threw a circle change. So, I mean, that's, you know, but a circle change, you know, maybe that, that is a lot easier on the art. So can you develop? And that, that's kind of one of the things when they brought in Coleman that I think is going to be so exciting is that you, you get the idea that most of these, most of these organizations, and this is one of the great things about the Astros, that they just are not nearly as advanced in terms of, you know, studying the game, even just statistically. I mean, it was simple, you know, when they brought in Aaron Sanchez. Hitters are hitting 150 against this pitch. Throw this pitch. And he did. And, you know, he was going for no hitter. And then for some reason couldn't pitch anymore after that. I don't know. But, um, I mean, Coleman, I mean, I think he was, I want to say he had a sinker that was dominant in 2022. And then he almost completely abandoned it last year. Why? Is it hurting his arm? Maybe, you know, but, or, you know, or the Royals idiots, maybe. So, you know, that would if you be look at their spending spree. It might be, it might be that they're idiots. I don't well, know. They're, they're, they, they're doing some bargain shopping, but they're not paying bargain prices. They're, they're buying credibility. They're buying 70 wins. They're going to buy prospects is what they're buying, Scott, because eventually those guys are going to get flipped at the deadline and they're going to come back with prospects that, I mean, every one of those guys are going to be sought after by a deadline team. Hunter Renfro gets traded to a, to a contender every single year. Seth Lugo is going to get traded to a contender. Shit. Seth M- Lugo might be a fucking Astro in July for all we know. You that's know, true. That's, 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 I guarantee you they just bought prospects. That's it's true. what the Mets did. It's what the Mets did. They paid a high price, but they got the two top prospects and, in the Astros system for Verlander, they, you know, they got the Rangers number one prospect um, for Scherzer. Like they paid a lot of money. The, Scherzer is on the shelf for about half the year. I don't know if you saw yeah. that. I mean, as of right now, the Rangers rotation does not look like one that's going to defend. You know, no. I, like I was getting into it with somebody. I was like, try not to, but every now and then it happens on Facebook. He told me, uh, you know, Rangers and Astros are both right there. You know, you can't, you know, we're both champions. You can't really compare. I said, let's run this shit back. Number one, first, first Texas team to go to a World Series, Astros. First Texas team to win a World Series, Astros. First Texas team to win multiple World Series, Astros. And let's also look at the fact that if you take every other World Series winner that's not the Astros since, say, 2015 to the Royals, they have done dog shit following their World Series appearances. Even look at the Braves have not made it out of the first round. The Dodgers won a Mickey Mouse World Series and have done dog shit else. The Nationals have been terrible, traded away all their best players. The Royals, as we mentioned, are are spending big money on Hunter Renfro and Seth Lugo. The Cubs have traded away all the players that made them a World Series champion. The Astros are the the Red Sox, I'm sorry, sucked and traded away all the players that made the World Series champions. Mookie Betts is now a Dodger. The Astros are the only team that have maintained a level of excellence from the time that they first made the playoffs in 2015 to where they were in seven straight um, ALCS appearances from 17 to 2023. 
and I will and, and I'll die on this hill since they did make it in 2020, which was a bullshit season. Still made it to the LCS. They, they made it. And you know how many, you know, if we say that, no, the Braves did not make it to the NLCS in 1994 because there was no LCS in 1994. No team has, in, in the League Championship Series era, has made it to seven consecutive League Championship Series. None. Zero. Yeah. So no one can compare in this era of baseball to what we've done. It's been phenomenal. I think, you know, let's not overshadow that by demanding excellence from the front office because I think it's fair to do so. We've shown um, what these players that we have can do when given the opportunity. So let's keep giving them the opportunity. Don't cheap out just because you have a chance to make some money. You know what else makes money? Winning World Series championships. When you win, you make a shit ton of money. You will make so much money on merch and everything that goes with being World Series champions when you get to raise ticket prices again the next year and all that shit. So let's go. Let's win it all, Jim. Make it a Merry Christmas and get me another fucking ring so I can shove it up Rangers fans' buttholes. Well, and when he says he's lost $93 million, what does that even mean? I mean, 93 compared to what? I mean, compared I, to what they made last year off well, the network, yeah. So when the know, network was paying them for the TV rights versus owning their own network, yeah. So that doesn't mean anything. So, like when you look at it, and if you compare them, the only sports franchise I think in our lifetime that compares is the Patriots, and we saw what happened to them after Tom Brady left. I mean, they are dog shit. They're about to fire, you know, a head coach that's won, what was he, won six Super Bowls? That's, you know. Oh, no, he's, I mean, as a head coach, yeah, but he's also yeah. not the ones you've got. Oh, with, yeah, uh, sure. As assistant is with the Giants and, you know, yeah. So you got a guy who, you know, I, I, I'm not going to compare across sports. I mean, that's ridiculous. But Jose Altuve is about as close as you'll get in baseball to Tom Brady. I mean, in terms of team success and what he does when, you know, when the chips are down. But speaking of the pigskin, you know, we had a huge game this last week. I'm going to get to a little bit about that a little bit later on in the show. But it was that the biggest win of the year for your Houston Texans? So far, absolutely, right? To, to go uh, on the road. What I would consider a hostile environment with dumbass Mike fucking Vrabel trying to dress like Bum Phillips, looking like a douchebag. You're stepping on. You're stepping on. <laughs> you're stepping on some, uh, some potential scumbags there, big, big guy. <laughs> I I got in a like I used the words cultural misappropriation at dinner on Sunday. I said they're stealing our culture, and my this would piss me off. I love my grandmother-in-law or whatever the term is. I love her to death, but she is a Browns fan. Okay. And she tried to like commiserate with me and say, no, I get it. I totally get it. I was like, I, I love you. You had your franchise taken away, but you don't get it. Cause Jim Brown is still remembered as a, like a Brown and still remembered in the city of Cleveland 
Earl Campbell's fucking coming on the field and goddamn Oilers shit for the Tennessee Titans. Like, what the fuck? I ate big Earl Kalachis my whole goddamn life because he's a fucking legend in Houston, and you got him trotting out there in fucking Nashville? That was awful. So, yes, that was the biggest one of the season. Fuck them bitches. Now, I think in terms of, like, how improbable the win was, I think that Tampa win is still... It's still, I don't know, that that might be up there. You know, coming out behind from the last minute, having no kicker in the whole entire second half, you know, having your backup, your, not even your backup, like a four-string running back kicking a field goal that ends up being the margin of victory in that game. You know, that's huge. But, yeah, your boy, Case Keenum, uh, we were joking on the side about how you had the uh, the Keenum Truthers against the uh, the Mills Nation, you know, battling it out. You know, God, those week. fucking Mills people, man, <laughs> go the fuck away. You know, but as soon as they made that decision, I was like, number one, that is ballsy. Mills has been your backup quarterback all season. Keenum hasn't even dressed, you know, most weeks, and then you make him the starter, which was absolutely the right decision. And I, you know, and we, and we were both saying it when the decision was made, you know, when it was announced on Saturday, we we're like, Oh hell yes, this is the right decision. Um, and in my opinion, Mills throws three picks and we lose that game. Well, Mills was in one play and he couldn't even get the ball off. He almost fumbled on, he almost lost the game on his one play. Yeah, it's sad, you know, that because you see guys like Danny or Tom, excuse me, Tom DeVito uh, winning games for, you know, the New York Giants. And, you know, Davis Mills can't get his opportunity, you know, because it would have been his golden opportunity. But the thing is, he's not prepared. He's not ready. But that was a game you didn't have. I mean, let's 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 mark it off here. In addition to C.J. Stroud being out, no Nico Collins. No Tank Dell, nor George Fant for the first game this season. So you had, uh, God, what was it? Who's that Jamoke's name is starting at right tackle? And Fant's graded out as your best lineman so far this season, too. Yeah. Who, who, is, who took his spot? It was, uh, God, I can't remember, remember his name. His first time he's played all year. He hadn't played a snap all year. And then you have on defense, Will Anderson's out. And then you have, you know, your safety. He gets concussed in the first quarter. You have um, Blake Cashman's out. I mean, this game, you're just continually throwing in second and third stringers in there. Carter Houston has been an unbelievable, or is it Houston Carter maybe, number 30? Yeah. He's a backup safety. He's been fantastic every time he's called upon to play. He's Because he's had to fill in for Ward quite a few times, and uh, he, he's been unbelievable. Yeah, Petrie played his probably his best game of the season. Game-saving uh, punch out of the yeah. uh, what could have been a big catch for Hopkins, and, and Petrie knocked the ball out as he was going to the ground. Yeah, well, he's got beat on that, but you know he he recovered. Uh, hey, it, it doesn't matter as long as you knock it out, right? Like you can get beat, but get the ball out of the or the one Stingley baited him, and then almost did the same thing he pulled two weeks ago on that pick. Well, that, was, that was even though he had no picks, that was Stingley's best game as a Texan because you know uh, De, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, let's look at this. Let's look at this. The Tennessee Titans have two players that are worth a shit. Two. 
They have DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver and Henry at running back. You know how many yards Henry had rushing? Nine on 16 carries. That was nine. Oh, but he, he was a weapon out of the backfield. He caught four balls for one yard. So 10 yards from scrimmage for Derrick Henry. And DeAndre Hopkins, I think, had two catches for, I want to say, 21 yards. So, there, you, you know two guys are getting the ball on that team. I mean, it was back like, think back, you know, in the days when it was Andre Johnson and, you know, who was it, the blocking, uh, Kevin Walter. Because you knew you know, Andre Johnson was getting the ball. Owen Daniels got a lot of looks. But back, but yeah. So, you know, think of like back like, Andre Johnson, but no Owen Daniels. Like, who was getting the ball in those days? Arian out of the backfield. Arian out of the backfield. That's exactly what the Titans are now. They they have Henry. They have DeAndre Hopkins. We had Andre Johnson. We had our Arian Foster. You knew who was getting the ball in those teams. Yeah. yeah. And we still stopped them. Yeah. With, it's- you know, with two or three of our best defenders out. I mean, it's unbelievable effort. I, I would have liked to have seen the pregame speech that uh, D'Amico gave. I, I mean, again, I, I don't know if we're going to give tip of the caps for the year or not, but um, I will give one for this week. And I think you 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 probably didn't get to to enjoy it, but you'll enjoy this when I when I give it to you. I I still will continue to tip my cap to. Um, to Mrs. McNair, you know, I, I continue, I, I credit this whole turnaround to Mrs. McNair, Hannah McNair. To, I, I, I get that Cal has, has been the face of it, but you cannot look at me and tell me that the day that she fell asleep at a game and like went in there and told her husband that this isn't acceptable. And then Jack Easterbase fired the next day. And then all of a sudden things start to change in this organization. You could tell me that wasn't her. You're going to tell me she personally didn't find a way to connect with D'Amico and convince him to come back home. I refuse to believe that. And so I, I, I get that Cal has been better, but I think that's at the behest of his wife who realized like what opportunities lie in a city where you own the fucking football team. So, you know, I, I credit all of this. Obviously D'Amico does a great job, but I, again, Hannah McNair <laughs> literally realizing her husband fell asleep at the wheel. Um, and, and getting him to wake the fuck up. I agree. 100, 1,000%. 1,000%. All right. So the other team across town, which is on a very similar path, they've had a rough couple of road games here in the last few days. But overall, if we're looking at things from an overall perspective on the year, what's your state of the Houston Rockets? I'm happy. I'm encouraged. You know, like I'm watching more Rockets basketball than I had in the last two or three years. It's really like the same as the Texans, right? Like for the last two Texan seasons, I was red zone only. Like I wasn't going to commit myself to watching individual games. And I, I kind of was a similar state of the Rockets. Like I'd check in, I'd tune in. I didn't watch whole games. I'm, I bought myself a space heater so I could sit outside and watch the Rockets and enjoy the games because I like sitting outside. And even though it's cold, I want to still sit out there and watch the Rockets games. So when I have opportunities, I watch this team. And it's fun. It's exciting basketball. Um, you know, I still, you know, just like the Texans, I think there's areas of concern. But I think the areas of concern are maybe a little bit bigger on the Rockets, you know, whereas 
Um, there's one or, you know, there's, I think there's like a single first round pick. You could say is a full miss for the, with the Texans with, with green. Um, there's, it's, you know, possibly one to two first round picks that are full misses with the Rockets, you know, and, and Jalen green is, is scaring me. Um, you know, Jabari Smith looks like a fine NBA player, but he definitely doesn't look like he was the number two pick of the draft. Um, especially when you had other guys out there that you could have taken who were playing well. So it, it is what it is, you know, but, but Jalen Green's lack of development, you know, the guy looks like a streaky bench player, like a six man of the year candidate more than he does um, someone that you were expecting to carry this franchise forward. So that part's a little concerning. We, we are going to be that team who right now, wins without a star, you know, when, when we win basketball games, cause we play great on defense and um, we'll be gritty and, and Sengun will lead the way, but we just don't have that flashy high flyer wing um, who's going to carry this team forward is my opinion. So, you know, first of all, I want to, you know, toot our own horn here. Cause I remember it was, I can't remember how many episodes it was ago that we were talking about whether or not we would trade Jalen green. That came up on six ten just this week. So trends, we're trendsetter. We're, Maybe they listen to the show. Maybe they're no. taking, looking for looking for some dish. We're, we're ahead of it. We're and so I think to me, after what happened, and I and I hate what how this happened, but getting Kevin Porter Jr. off this team is huge. And I think you know it, replacing him with with Van Vliet is just night and day, night and day. I think, you know, when you look at what Fred Van Vliet is doing, you know, I, I, you know, I hate to say he deserves MVP votes, but I think he does. And this is league MVP votes, not not Rockets MVP votes. Um, Because, you know, he is the reason why this team has a floor. Because what you see him doing every single night is doing something positive whether he's scoring, whether he's dishing the ball, he's doing something positive every night. Um, Jalen Green hopefully will learn from that. I haven't seen it. I just haven't. Um, I don't know if that's the wrong pick. I don't know if this was the wrong situation for him because of what you had with Kevin Porter Jr. and you had a rudderless ship for two years. I, I don't know what that situation is. I can understand Jabari Smith. Because, you know, they decided they looked at Chet Holmgren and they decided that guy can't stay healthy. And when you look at the last two years, that's been borne out. Holmgren probably has the higher ceiling, but Jabari Smith's been there every single night. So I can't complain about that. I just, you know, I hope that he continues to grow and he looks like he is and he looks like he's willing to. Green is the one thing on this team that's a question mark. And and, and and I wonder, Scott, what if, honest question, what if he's just not that good, right? Like, what if he was the guy who was bigger, faster, stronger than everybody when he was 17, 18, 19 years old? He didn't test himself by playing college basketball, right? He played in the G, he played in the developmental G League, so we never really saw him truly play against the best competition. And he played, if, you, if you've ever watched that kind of basketball, there's no defense played in that league. It is a fast-paced, up-and-down league. Um, guys get their shots, they get their points. So what if he's just not that good? And, and the Rocket scouting just missed it because I think that's where it's at. Like he's not a consistent jump shooter. 
And if he can't get to the rim, that's pretty much it. Like on nights that he can shoot, he goes off. On nights that he can't, that's it. Because on nights that he can shoot, they have to contest, and then he can get by him and go to the rim. On nights that the jumper's off, they kind of sag off of him, and then that's it for Jalen Green. He's disengaged, and he's going to end up with a 12-point lack of defense, lack of effort dud. I think you're on the I think you're on the spot there, and I think the question is now is can you find somebody that wants to give you something of value? I mean, that's hard. They've already picked up the option, the fourth year option on his contract. So he's he's got another year. You don't have to deal him this year. But, you know, at what point does the rest of the league figure out this guy's not that good? Uh, I mean, are they there already? I mean, I or- know you don't have to deal him, but if you look at this team right now and say, hey, we're a legitimate consistent 18 point a game shooting guard away from being a good basketball team. And I don't think it's Levine, the guy that you mentioned, cause he's too expensive, yeah. but you know, if, if, if we could get somebody like that on this team, I don't know. How do you not, how do you not look at that? Because at this point in time, Jalen green is a negative asset to me. Right. And if I'm looking at this from a business perspective, you dump negative assets. So do I go to a team that has not succeeded up to their expectations this year and say, Hey, I'll give you Jalen green and, and two second round picks for your shooting guard. I'll, I'll take on uh, Kyle Kuzma or, or something like that to get me some, some offensive. I, I don't know. I don't know who that guy is, Scott, but the kind, the kind of guy I wish, you know, who was it that we had before Harden? He was in the Harden trade. That was our score. Yeah, somebody. I like hated that. him. I fucking hated him. No defense. Played absolutely. He was a sieve. But you know, the thing is, but somebody he was a an efficient scorer. Yeah, he gave you twenty a night. And and the thing is, is that what you had in him, at least in an offensive perspective, is he was not going to create for anybody else. But you don't need that. Van Vliet will create. Sangoon will create. So all you need is somebody who can knock down an open shot. Jalen Green passes open looks way too often. The, this offense is designed that when Fred Van Fleet drives and kicks, you need to take the fucking shot. When Sengun draws attention and kicks, you need to take the shot. You can't pass it off to the next person because that messes up the rotation. And you're not going to get the same good look that you just had. You need, like, as much as you're like, I don't like him at the time he was a rocket. Kevin Martin, is it Kevin Martin or was it? Yeah, uh, yeah was, that's Ke- right. Kevin, Kevin Martin. Martin, if he had an open look, he was going to take a shot. He was not going to pass the ball to somebody else. He was going to pop that shit. And you know what? That's what this team needs. They need someone. They need a Ray Allen, right? They need a guy who's willing to catch and shoot. They need Mike Miller. Mike Miller in his prime would be a godsend on this basketball team to just well, sit heck, there and any spot of the, up. Any of the Barry boys. Somebody you know, would, do, just, would do it, and, and so the, JJ Redick, JJ Redick would fucking put up monster numbers on this Rockets team right now because you get so many open threes. What, what I liked about Martin though is he also got to the line a lot, um, and so you know he was one of those. And I think back the big stat back then was points per shot, and I don't know if you've uh, if you've seen that number because that's where Harden is like off the charts yeah because he gets the free throw line yeah because he's a guy that could score 25 points and shoot the ball 10 times and you're like you know how in the hell does that happen green is like the opposite 
Green's a guy that will put up like 10 points and shoot the ball 15 times. And you're just like, what the hell, man? You got to get to the line at some point, you know? And, and yeah. Yeah. This team does not draw fouls. You know, as a Rockets fan, like with the, during the James Harden era, you were used to a baseline of 20 to 25 free throws a, lot, a night, right? Your, your team was going to shoot some free throws and there's some serious nights with, with big time disparity uh, where the Rockets are getting the line seven, eight, nine times and giving up 25, 26 free throw looks. So, that's that's definitely something that is missed. Somebody just knows how to draw, like, draw a foul. When the jump shot is not flowing from the outside, draw a foul, go to the free throw line, get a chance to you know figure out your stroke. That's what Harden did all the time. The step back three wasn't falling. Okay, I'll go draw a foul. And it's basically a chance to just figure out that stroke for him because he knew he was going to hit it from there. And then next thing you know, Harden's hitting a three because he, he found his shot at the line. And you see it all the time. It happened uh, in the Nuggets game. Um, with with Jokic, Jokic had not done shit all game, and then we put him at the line four straight times. And next thing you know, he's knocking down a three, he's knocking down mid range, and he's hitting another three because we allowed him to find his shot at the line. That's just smart basketball, and and Jalen Green doesn't know how to do that, and that's concerning to me. We're in year three. You're a pro at this point, right? You're not a young guy anymore. You're a fucking professional basketball player. And you don't understand how to draw fouls and get to the line. You don't understand. You don't understand your your position in the offense is shooting guard. You need to fucking shoot, especially when you're wide open. And he gets a lot of open looks that he just doesn't take, or he tries to drive it into a clogged paint and, and messes it up worse. This this offense is designed for a kick and, and shoot. Dylan Brooks loves those looks. Dylan Brooks will shoot it anytime you get him one of those looks. We need Jalen Green to have the same cutthroat attitude. If you're a 25 a game scorer, you want that ball and that you want that shot. Give me that fucking shot all day. Ray Allen is not passing that ball away. Ray Allen's splashing and jogging back the other way. Jesus Shuttlesworth. Mm. Yeah, but you know, it, here's the thing, and and I think when you look at the uh, the Rockets and the Texans t- together, I think the two guys that are probably the biggest turnarounds, I think, Nick Casario and Rafael Stone. I don't know if Rafael Stone should have job security, but I think he does because of what this team has done, you know, in the first, you know, quarter of the season. Um, even, you know, even with losing the last two games, I mean, were they what, 13-11? Or are they 13-10? 13-11, I think. I mean, that's, that's, you're a playoff team. You're a play, at the very worst, you're a play-in team. And if you had told any Rockets fan, you're going to go from the worst team in basketball to a play-in team. They would have said, "Like, sign me up, I'm taking it." I mean, I think at the end of the day, all we were asking for as fans this year is competitive games, right? Like, give me effort for four quarters. Let me have let me have a product that's worth watching on TV because it hasn't been for two years. I think you and I would both agree that the moment Harden left town and um, John Wall's on the bench, not playing, and we've got Jalen Green and Kevin Porter out there doing stupid shit all night. It wasn't fun to watch. It was not enjoyable. You could get a little bit to see like Sengun and, and see that grow, but then we're not playing Sengun because I, I don't know what, what our reasoning back then was for not playing Sengun. They kept saying it was his defense, but you know what? Nobody on the team was playing defense. So, you know, at least there's a sense of professionalism and legitimacy to this Rockets franchise. I agree with you. I think Stone 
Um, is he getting a pass? Again, I, I think he completely missed on Jalen Green. I think, um, you know, some of the trades he's made have been a little questionable on, on you know, what we get back on things. But it is what it is, right? Like, there, no one's perfect. Uh, I think he did a nice job in free agency this season. And I think I'd love to see him find a way to make this team better before the trade deadline. You know, if he could find a way to do that. Because say what you want about Daryl Morey, guy never sat tight at the deadline. The guy always did something to make this team better. And I think it's a shoot. I think it's a shooting guard. You need a legitimate shooting guard. I I'm ready to pull the ripcord on on Jalen Green and bring somebody in here that um, I know it would literally alter the, the future of this franchise. But give me somebody that's just gonna go out there and, and give me effort eighty two games a year instead of sixty. Yeah, and I think you look at the top of the drafts, and I think it's just one of those unfortunate situations where we were picking one player too late like every year. I mean, it was just that kind of thing. And I and I don't know if Thompson is going to be a good player. He obviously isn't now. Um, you know, if he does he learn to shoot? I don't know. Um, I mean, it might be kind of similar to baseball where either you can hit or you can't. I, you know, that might be one of those things. But I think we have got an extra long segment, this being the last show of the year uh we'll start off with our weekly awards and kind of move on to the year-long one so we're going to start off with the tip of the cap who is your tip of the cap for the week it's tough scott it's been a it's been an interesting week it's been um a lot going on a lot of tough decisions but i'm going to give my tip of the cap to a local donut shop here in the colony i i had a tea time set up it was my first chance to play golf in probably three weeks now since my wife's incident um and unfortunately i i, I wait an hour and the frost delay still hasn't lifted and then i realized hey it's just not going to happen this morning come home i decided to stop and get the family some donuts i'm gonna try something new this place is banging like car after car after car, just pulling into this parking lot. Scott, these were the most fluffy, airy, sweet, delicious, frosted glazed donuts I have had in so long. I drove past the Shipley's. I drove past the Duncan. I drove past three other donut shops to try this place. And it was absolutely worth the drive. Masters donuts in the colony gets a tip of the cap from what I'd like to consider a donut expert in myself. That's, oh, I, I, I do enjoy a good donut. I don't eat them very often for obvious reasons, but I do enjoy a good donut. But for me, um, I got to listen to a part of it, but my tip of the cap goes to uh, somebody who I think is probably close to your heart being from your alma mater, but Andre Ware. I don't know if you've listened to, you know, a... Houston radio broadcast, but oh, I love it. Listen all the time. He brings it every week. And this week in particular, just the portion I was listening to, he does not mince words. He will call out guys who are not performing. I mean, he lets you know, you know, and that's, and the thing is when you're watching, when you're listening to a game, you don't see it. So you don't see who's blowing assignments. He was in Michael Dieter's grill that whole game. 
whenever they were running all those stupid screenplays in the first half that were gaining nothing, he was calling out the reason why they weren't. He was like, this Michael Dieter guy, you need to switch to Scruggs with him because this guy can't block anybody. And I'm like, this is awesome. When Case Keenum throws his pick six, he was on it. He was like, Dario Bulali made the wrong move. He makes a cut inside. You know, Case is throwing it where he should be. And that's why that play happened. So, and you listen to him. I don't know. Have you heard the call on the, on the uh, field goal, the final field goal? I have. Yeah, he was fantastic. He, I mean, and so you have a guy that's just getting into it. He's a guy that, you know, and, and one of the th- problem is with these, these former athletes is a lot of times they are reluctant to call out the players because they were one. And so, you know, they understand what it's like. But you know what? As a fan, I respect you a whole lot more if you can sit there and say, you know what? This guy screwed it up. And that's why this happened. And so Andre Ware, yeah, Mark Vandermeer is wonderful too. Um, I like Vandermeer as well. But Andre Ware, I, you know, this last game, he was on top of it. It was a great performance from him. Vandermeer is fantastic. I used to play in the uh, golf tournament that he hosted for the Boys and Girls Club every year. Um at South Shore Harbor, my dad would cook on the uh, he would cook on the course and uh, got like a free foursome in his um, Boys and Girls Club Classic. So I've met Vandy a couple times, and yeah, he's a he's a good guy. So now I, I don't know if you have a year long uh, tip of the cap. You mentioned uh, Hannah McNair, so you Hannah would McNair stick- would be mine. Yeah, just 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 for getting this thing turned around and and giving the team of fighting chance again right just giving us a chance at legitimacy and um a chance to make the playoffs and bringing the right coach in and, and just being a legitimate nba franchise again i'll i'll second that one moving things along now we go to weekly scumbag so scumbag for the week you keep putting me first scott but i'll i'll take it um I'll take the last one first. The North Texas Toll Association is in my crosshairs this week, Scott. My wife set up her toll tag. She's one of those young girls or women that uh, her father has taken very good care of her for her entire life. And one day I get a call that says, you need to get your wife off my toll tag account. She's your problem now. And so uh, it was time for her to get on her own account. She goes in, she sets it up, she puts the credit card number in to, to preload her um, her toll tag. And for some reason, it didn't save the card to continue to load it. So instead of ever sending us a bill to say, hey, you're delinquent, hey, you need to reload, to ever sending an email to say, hey, you need to reload, they just kept charging it and they kept charging it at double the rate because she was not an active toll tag member till it reached over a thousand dollars. Then they sent a letter to her parents' house. That's where the car is registered to saying, Hey, you've got $1,100 in fines from the North Texas toll association. And then when I reach out to them, they refuse to show any statements of the, the tolls. You just got to believe them that that's what it is. And uh, it's also not their job to monitor their tolls. It's my job to notice 
that money hasn't been withdrawn out of the account, and I should be wondering why. So, fuck you, North Texas Toll Association, and your money-grubbing ways. Oh, I've already reached nasty. out to my state uh, my state person about that shit. That is nasty business. I think I alluded to this one earlier, so my scumbag for the week are your Tennessee Titans. I usually call them the possums because, you know, they play dead. Um, you have no idea. I grew up as an Oilers fan, and that's probably because I think they probably, by the time you were of rooting age, they sucked. Am I correct? Uh, actually, the first Super Bowl I truly remember was the one that was Rams and Titans. Well, so you don't remember the Oilers. Oh, I do. Right, right, right. I Yeah, correct. So all those seven, eight consecutive seasons that they went to the playoffs and lost every single year before getting to the conference championship game, that was the prime of my rooting interest all the way through my teenage years. So watching a game on Sunday where I see a team in that Columbia blue was just emotionally and spatially confusing to me. It was, I was utterly confused. Every play I had to sit there and go, wait, 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 no, I'm not rooting for that team. I'm rooting for this other team. And, and so I don't, I don't get it. You, you uh, kind of you know, laid it out earlier in the show about how they have stolen all of our legends who are in the ring of honor. What does somebody from Nashville know who Earl Campbell is? Do they have any idea who Earl Campbell is? Do they know who Curly Cup is or Robert Brazil or Ray Childress or Mike Munchak? They know who Bruce Matthews is. I know, they know who Munchak is too because he was the yeah, head coach. coach. They know those two. But do they know any of those other guys? No. No, I saw that they were putting in Billy White Shoes Johnson. What the, the, the what the hell? They, 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 what the hell? They don't even know who that is. And so you have all these people buying Oilers jerseys. In Wait till they honor Dan Pastorini. That's going to really piss you off. Well, you know, Pastorini was a little bit before my rooting time, but I remember Earl Campbell growing up. I remember, you know, him out there at that game and all this shit was fucking awful. Our elementary school principal, every time we won, would play that song. Houston Oilers number one. And he would play that over the intercom every time they won. And so you have a fan base that couldn't give two shits about the Oilers. Couldn't give two shits. And you're going to give them the fucking colors? Come on. And then, yeah, you mentioned it earlier. Sit there and have you know, Mike Vrabel coming out in a fucking bum Phillips hat. What the fuck is that shit? I mean, who the hell? He didn't have that idea. Somebody thought, oh, man, let's really stick it to him. You, you put on this hat. All right, take that shit off, you sons of bitches. We just beat your ass. Those colors belong back in Houston. You know, fuck you and fuck everybody in Tennessee. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> oh, that was good, Scott. And J.J. Watt agrees with you. He tweeted after the game, hey, we won the game. We get the uniforms back now. Um, and that was good to see J.J. 
saying that. Because I agree. And, and what made it even sweeter is they sent the cease and desist letter uh, to the UH for wearing those colors. And UH fucking legend Case Keenum was the one who went up there and slung some D all over that town. So fantastic to see Titans just are trying to troll the Texans is, is, is some bullshit. Um, they had a nice little run with, hey, with uh, hey, us they, on the down. They channeled their, you know, they channeled their inner Oilers by blowing a double digit lead in the fourth quarter. Hey, <laughs> it, it, it's a, a classic throwback day, right? Yes, yeah, right. Uniform of the play meets. But Scott, we're going to do the yearly scumbags now. It's been a, a, a wide ranging year with a lot of crazy shit going down. Um, who is it for you, Scott, that, uh, is, is going to be the scumbag of the year for the Mr. Barzilla? I am bringing two barrels plus a third on this one. My scumbag of the year is your favorite attorney general and mine, Ken Paxton. Now, let me start this off. Ken Paxton, when he ran for attorney general the first time, when he ran for attorney general, he was under indictment. Now, how many years has he served as attorney general? And he's still under indictment. Okay, Justice Department, what the fuck are we doing? Are y'all the, is, is he the, like the Rosenbergs? I mean, what the shit are we doing? We can't prosecute a crime in, in a span of seven or eight years. I mean, is there a backlog or something I don't know about? But okay, so... Having the leading law enforcement officer of your state be under indictment, I can't, and it can't compare it. It's like having the the fire chief under indictment for arson. I mean, what the fuck are we doing? And so, okay. So then comes the summer when he's impeached by a Republican Speaker of the House. He is impeached. The Republican Speaker of the House leads that charge. Now, there's a whole lot of politics that goes into that, you know, and, and, and Paxton was, you know, bad mouth on that guy. So I'm sure that part of that was just, you know, gamesmanship going back and forth. I, I don't know what the fuck. But here we come in where, uh, gosh, who was the, who was the Jamoke that's defend, defending, uh, who's representing Busby. the way? Busby, Busby comes in wearing his Donald Trump costume where he's painted his skin orange for God knows what reason, representing him. You have Dan Patrick, who's probably a runner-up for this award, probably in perpetuity, gets paid, what was it, $2 million right before the trial? Just right in front of God and everybody. It's like just you know, bring, somebody bringing like a suitcase full of money and sitting here, here you know, here's some money. What the hell? So... Here's the third strike against your Mr. Paxton. Third strike against Mr. Paxton is you have this woman, Miss Cox. 20 weeks into her pregnancy, she gets the worst possible news. And the worst possible news is that her baby is no longer viable. And continuing on the pregnancy could possibly kill her. At the very worst, she's probably going to give birth. She would have given birth to a stillborn baby. That's the very, very most charitable way that we can point this out. So what does this guy do? What does this Jamoke do? This jackass. 
Not only does he file an appeal with the uh, Texas Supreme Court after she gets a district court to allow her to get the procedure done, but he sits there and says anybody that gives this woman a procedure in the state of Texas is going to get prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. What an asshole. What an absolute asshole. So what does Ms. Cox do? The, the Texas Supreme Court, which they are right up here in the nominees, you know, for this jackass, you know, of the year award. But they they kind of, you know, drag their feet on making a ruling because, yeah, time's not into the essence in this situation at all. I mean, it's just a pregnancy, right? So Ms. Cox goes to an undisclosed state. We don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. It's somewhere not Texas, and she gets her procedure done. And so, thankfully, she's safe, and she could potentially have children again, which is, you know, the whole reason they wanted to do the procedure in the first place. So, what does the Texas Supreme Court do? Oh, well, even though she left, we're going to render a verdict anyway. And we're going to say that there are no exceptions to this law. It's like, you know what, I know a couple of people that have had abortions, and I'm not going to put anybody on blast, but what those situations have always entailed was it always entailed a situation that where the health of the mother was at risk and that the health of the baby was probably not, is not didn't have viability. Baby was not going to survive outside the womb. Those are the reasons why you have those abortions. Nobody gets a late-term abortion because they've been sitting around for 34 weeks pregnant and going like, oh, shit, I don't want this baby. People aren't doing that. Who the fuck do they think they're dealing with? Anytime a woman has an abortion that late in the pregnancy is because something horrible has gone wrong. Either with the baby, with her, something. So I don't understand. I don't get it. It, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, and to me, it's the whole idea is it, it, it's not about morality. It's not about religion. You know, we've talked about this before, back when we were talking politics before. It, it, abortion wasn't even a thing in terms of like a religious issue until the late 1970s, early 1980s. So, I mean, it's a bullshit issue, you know. So what's the purpose of doing that? Really, it's to control women. That's what it is, you know, from from day one. So you know what? I've got a I've got a I've got a proposal for you, Mr. Paxson. Every time you beat it off, every time you yank it. Every time you, you know, look at a magazine or you're watching a movie and you're thinking, oh boy, I got to go get that. We're prosecuting your ass. We are arresting. Fuck a woman that's not your wife. We are arresting. Well, I don't even know if we can go that, but I'm just saying, because, hey, the Bible says, Tim, you know, spilling a seed is a sin. It also said you shouldn't covet another man's wife, too. All right, Mr. Paxson, your ass is going to be arrested. We're just gonna put we're gonna put Paxton Cam right there in his bathroom, and every time we see him beat it off, we're calling the cops. 
Another, another great South Park reference opportunity where he had like a asshole. I made a big boy. I made a big Good lord. Okay. Hello, Mr. Paxton. I'm here to check your asshole. I'm here to check your wiener. See if you've been beating it off. Oh, God. Okay, Tim. I think I've run out of gas here. So I'm going to let you... Uh, let you set up your scumbag of the year. I'm going to be honest. You kind of stole my thunder a little bit, Scott, because I was going to take the state of Texas as a whole um, due to the things that you mentioned, <laughs> as well as all of Greg Abbott's tomfoolery. I'm sorry, Tom. Yeah, Greg Abbott's tomfoolery uh, with the school situation as well um, is why I was going to take the state of Texas. But now that you've done that, um, you know, I think it's time that I turn my attention to the world of professional golf, right? This is our last week as the Snap Hook podcast, so I'm going to go out bitching about the state of professional golf. It is a shame that something that I enjoyed watching on a weekly basis, I don't know if I'll ever watch again, which is the PGA Tour. Majors are not run by the PGA Tour, so I'll watch the Masters, I'll watch the US Open, I'll watch the Open Championship, and I'll watch the PGA Championship. But I'm pretty much done watching the PGA Tour, Scott. And it's not that I'm going to go watch Live, because that's a terrible product, too. I'm just going to play more golf. I'm done watching this bullshit. I'm done. I'll watch Tiger, but Tiger doesn't play on the PGA Tour anymore. Tiger plays charity events with the Sun. Tiger plays majors. Tiger plays um, the WGC events. He doesn't play the PGA Tour. So, uh, you know, fuck Jay Monahan because he lied to all of us and told us that as a PGA Tour fan, you don't have to ever worry about where the money's coming from. Then he goes and makes a deal with the Saudi money that he told us all he was never going to take from. Then after he did that, we realized he never talked to the players about it. So the players are pissed about it. Now we've got Patrick fucking Cantlay dictating terms on the PJ Tour. Fuck all of this. I'm done. I will never not be a golfer. I will, I will be that guy who you're burying with his lucky five wood in, in the, uh, in the uh, coffin with him, right? I love watching the Masters. I, I literally was trying to plan my upcoming vasectomy for Masters weekend so that way I have a reason to sit on the couch and watch golf all week. Because, oh, I got a vasectomy. You got to sit here. can't move. Like, that was my plan. I love it. But I'm done with this two-tour bullshit. I'm done with the live trolls on Twitter who just want to talk about how much money is in it. Because you know what's lost in all this? is the PJ Tours was at one point one of the most charitable organizations in the country. The PJ Tour came to town and supported the charity of these towns. And you know who's losing out when we need to make sure all these players get all this money? is the charities, because that money's got to come from somewhere. So guess whose charitable donation's going down? So that way Phil Mickelson gets an appearance fee, or John Rahm gets $600 million. Fuck it, man. Like, this is ridiculous. To have somebody sit there and say, it does, you know, there's, I already live a good life. You know, the money wouldn't matter to me. It really is not a big deal. They've got human rights issues. 
And then he's on fucking Fox News rocking the Live Golf Letterman jacket saying, I'm here to help grow the game. Fuck it. I'm done. I'm not watching Live. I'm not watching the PGA Tour. I'm going to play more golf. And that's it. I'm with you, Tim. And what I don't understand about Monaghan is that, so really you go down two roads with this whole lift thing. And he has somehow picked a third road, which is unbelievable. Now your road is, we're going to take your ass to court. We're going to, we're going to beat you down every step of the way, or we'll join together and grow the game globally. He's picked a third road. Which is we're not going to do shit. I don't get. We're not going to do shit. You have these WGC events that are separate than the tour. Why? Just because it was Greg Norman. Because it was Greg Norman, and he had a bone up his ass. They couldn't get along. Anybody else? We could have had this shit squashed forever ago. We could have had the eight off live events where they play as a team and all that other shit. That would have been fine. But they had to have a dick measuring contest. And in the process, they have taken what is basically a niche sport that raised a lot of money for people. And they've blown it the fuck up. And then in the process, they blew the golf ball up with it. And now we got a different ball because these guys are so fucking stupid. They're so stupid, Scott. It's ridiculous. Do you want a bathroom can from Monahan? Kind of like Paxton? No. I I I want a cam on his golf game. I want a anytime he three putts, I want all golfers to laugh. Like, and he has to hear it. And we have he has to like take our ribbing. And like, if he hits one out of bounds, we, he just gets booed mercilessly. Like, you suck, you fucking suck. Like, that's what his punishment should be. He should never be able to play a peaceful round of golf ever again. He's ruined the game of golf for me. We should ruin the game of golf for him because that's the equal punishment, right? Like, for, with you for Paxton. You know, people's personal space is being invaded. We're going to invade your personal space. So for Monaghan, you ruined golf for me. I'm going to ruin golf for you. you will, you're you going to have essentially what was in Happy Gilmore following you around for the rest of your life. Jackass! Like, you're never going to get off that beach, you fucking jackass! Like, that's every time you play golf, that's what you get for the rest of your life. Oh, man. You got to meet him down at the Sizzler afterwards. I could see, like, you know, somebody, airball, airball, you know. Yeah. Three putt, three. Yeah, I could see that. I, Yeah, I haven't watched a PGA Tour of it in years, probably. Um, I've watched the majors. But, you know, the, as you pointed out, those aren't PGA Tour events. Um, I, used to, I used to volunteer at the the byron i used to go to the shell i used to volunteer at the yeah shell. yeah i have no desire i have no desire i will never volunteer for the pga tour again never yeah that's rough and, and the thing is you know and you're on the front lines you know with the first tee and i'll, uh, I'll continue to work with the first tee and i'll and i'll volunteer for the lpga tours volunteer classic which is right down the street from my house i'll gladly support that tour ha- happily but I am done with men's golf. Yeah, because, you know, the one thing you mentioned about rebranding the show, which we mentioned at the beginning, which uh, we, we, it's been a great year of the snap hook. Uh, and we want to thank all everybody who's been following Salon on this journey. But as you mentioned, why are we calling our show the snap hook when we talk golf like 2% of the time? Because we were mainly talking Houston sports. We did talk politics at the beginning. We kind of dropped that off, although my, my rant on uh, on Ken Paxton was definitely in the political realm. 
But you're right. We don't talk golf. We talk our personal games more than what we talk the global game. Because, you know, what's there to discuss? John Rahm, I mean, to me, I, I really don't, I, I don't get this idea from the very beginning. To me, if you gave me $10 million, I'd be, I'd be happy. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't feel the need to go out there and make a hundred million because I would have everything that I needed. And so I don't understand this whole idea of I'm going to get paid $300 million. John Rob's got more money than what he knows what to do with. Well, why does he need, why does Phil Mickelson, well, Phil Mickelson might have a bit of a gambling problem. So maybe we ignore that for a, for a second. But um, with the rest of those guys, why do they need all that money? Do they really need it? I mean, to me, if you're the 125th or 150th guy on the tour and Liv comes to you and says, we'll pay you $5 million, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I could see why somebody would jump at that. But if you're a guy that's making 10, 15 million a year, counting your endorsements, why the hell do you need all that much money from Liv? I don't get it. I don't either. I mean, the only one that legitimately laid it out in a way that made sense was Harold Varner. He was the most real about his departure because everybody else has left and given that I'm here, you know, I'm just looking to grow the game and generational wealth and all this other bullshit. Harold Varner wrote a very well thought out letter to his fans and basically said like, look, I have always looked as my golf game as a way to provide for my family, but also like the community I come from and I have a charity that I support and I could donate this much money to this charity when I played on the PJ tour. And now my charity can get this much money out of me. Now that I make this much on live by going to live, I'm helping this many more kids play golf. It's right here in the dollar and cents. This is it. And you know what? I can respect that. Cause you literally put it out there and said like, I'm going to use the extra money I'm getting. And the Harold Varnish Varner charity is getting 10 times the amount of money they would have gotten otherwise. Cause it, okay. Well, the Can't thing argue is with that, well, the thing is with the, a lot of these rich bastards and, and, and a lot of them are rich bastards, not all of them. I'm sure they're, they're nice guys, but the thing with these rich bastards is do you, how many of them do you really think are donating extra to charity? I think Harold Varner did, but that's I think, probably... Well, yeah, I'm sure he does. It's probably limited, right? Like, I don't think a lot of them are. And if they do, I think it's like a tax write-off, right? Like, I don't think it's... Like, Harold Varner has a foundation, right? Like, if if Phil now has to... If Phil is giving more to charity this year, I guarantee you it's because he gets him into a different tax bracket, so that way he doesn't have to pay the same amount of taxes. Charitable giving, there's different ways, right? Like... Writing a check is completely different than giving your time and going out and doing all this other stuff. Well, and, and, and part of it is how you choose to rationalize stuff. Like, I don't give as nearly as much to the church as I could. But kind of the way I'm looking at it is I give you so many hours a week of my time and my talent and my expertise. And that's worth something. And I'm giving it to you for free. You know, like right now, any kid that, you know, comes in that's a special needs, I'm sitting there with the youth minister saying, okay, this is what the kid has. And, you know, and this is how, you know, you best handle this kid. That expertise is worth something. The school district's paying me a salary for that expertise. I'm not demanding a, a single dime from the church for it. So, you know, the way I choose to look at it is, 
yeah, I'm not giving as much in terms of money, but I'm giving you something else that's worth something. And I'm sure the guys have a way of rationalizing it. You know, I'm sure, you know, the Mickelsons of the world sitting there going, I'm not going to give any more to charity, but yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm worth this. And, you know, I'm sure they, they come up with something, but yeah, I'm with you. The golf world has been a disappointing, it's been a disappointing year for the golf world. Definitely. Well, Scott, I think that is going to just about do it here on this final episode of 2023. It's been, you know, a crazy year. So much has changed. You know, when we started this show, it was, as you said, a, a crossover between political and sports and that it was, you know, two different shows in one. And then it was just a sports show. Um, I, I've had a baby at this time. I've had, uh, you know, different jobs. We've had highs and lows. We've gotten you back out on the golf course. We've got a new set of clubs. You know, this has been a hell of a year. It's been a great ride. And, um, you know, I know it's only going to get better when we when we make the move and we um, take this thing to the next level in 2024. We we definitely look forward to to growing the brand, growing the game, as we've been saying, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, taking this thing to the next level. All right. So, Tim, uh, of course, you know, we will be texting back and forth because we always do. But, you know, for the listeners, I uh, hope Haley uh, is recovering well. Hopefully that, you know, you all have a, a very a great holiday and hope and Sawyer enjoys, you know, her two weeks off of school, just like I'm hoping Ann will. You know, before we, we hop off, did you, were you an elf on the shelf family or is that like too late for you? No, no, we never, we never did that. We could have, but we didn't. So it wasn't around when my brother and I were a kid, but like Sawyer's got an elf and, um, that elf has gone extreme this year. Now that now that I have taken full charge of it, Scott, we've had uh, American Gladiators events. We've had drag racing. We've had the elf suspended Mission Impossible style from the ceiling trying to break into the cookie jar. We've had um, bowling. They were doing bowling last night. Um, I used ChatGPT to write a, a book about the dangers of lying because Sawyer got caught in a lie and wouldn't admit it. I have gone i'm enjoying this elf we what we did is uh janet has a well she when she started it with nasa uh she had a blackberry back when blackberries were still a thing so that was when ann was little so we were able to convince her that that was the santa phone uh since you know it 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 talked you know it could literally she could talk to people in space you know on that phone so hey it's the santa phone and and that worked until you know Santa Claus ceased to be a thing. Uh, what en- ended up happening there was you know is is gosh darn religious ed is when she went into C- she came back from CC says like so I heard that in order for you to be a saint that you had to be dead. It's like yeah that's true, and that Santa was Saint Nicholas. And it's like oh damn I know where this is going. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he's a ghost. Yep. It, it, special disposition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus right. died too, you know, and yeah. he came back. Same that's as right. Santa. You know, hey, you know. Yeah. But no. Uh, yeah. It happens. Everybody. And that's why I've gone all out with the elf this year. I think we're heading down a similar road, but yeah. um, this will, you know, this will be the, uh, the last time you see us here. 
we will, uh, you know, Scott and I will continue to update on our social media pages on how to find the show. And we'll do an update on the show's page, uh, the Facebook page, the Snapbook, um, on where you can find the new show going forward, as well as what the new name will be. I'm sure the, the, we'll change the, the name there on the Facebook page first. Um, so if you're already following the show, you'll be the first ones to know what our new show name and new show logo will look like and you know what scott there's a possibility for merch down the road if people like this logo either that or i could see like uh i could see you know something along with scumbags on a t-shirt i like it mate i like it i definitely like a scumbag t-shirt but that's gonna do it here we're gonna wrap up the year we're gonna wrap up the show uh and we're gonna wrap up the snap hook all in one ending here we appreciate everyone who made us not only a part of their day their week their year And we will see you next year on TBD. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl. And this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook.